if someone were to ask me, well, what's this day about? Yes, Jesus changed physically and visually and, and in a way that we really can't explain, but what does it mean for us? Other than this, it offers us a day to, to proclaim the undeniable glory of God. But is that any different than any other Sunday? I hope that we can do that other than Transfiguration Sunday, right? So I think about it uh, is this way. As, as your preacher, first of all, I think about, well, I'm going to write a sermon that talks about the glory of God today, and I already know I'm going to, my words are going to fall short. I'm not going to measure God's glory and want anything I say to you today, so I feel a little bit behind as I get started here. But I think about it this way. Think about the thing that you have seen or tasted or, or done or felt that really was something amazing for you. But then you try to explain that to someone in words, and we all know that words, well, they always fall short in those things. Food must be tasted. Sights must be seen. Some things just must be experienced to grasp them. Now, today we read a story of Jesus glowing like a beacon, wearing radiant clothes and ghosts from the past showing up and Moses and Elijah talking to him. But in truth, I've never seen such a thing. I have nothing in my experiences in life that reflect anything like this. Even the gospel account we've been given here is secondhand news. Now, it must have been a heart-pounding moment to see such a thing. But if we're honest, as I read this text today, and as you heard that story, I doubt your heart rate's increased. I doubt you really had this deep sense of awe as that story was told today. Mark's gospel, typically, as he typically does, tells the whole story in seven verses. And let's be honest, they're kind of underwhelming. We get the facts, but we don't get much else. So yes, I do believe the saying that some things just must be experienced to understand them. We can't go back to that day. How do we, how do we experience that moment then? Now, you don't hear me suggesting that today is not important. In fact, I do believe it is. There's a good reason that the church saw fit many years ago to pull this one story out out of our three-year lectionary cycle to say, no, we need to look at this one every single year. And I want to consider today why that is. What makes this a significant story? Beyond the metaphysical, beyond the mysterious realities of it, or the portrayals of it. So, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to God, who is our rock and redeemer, so as that we might comprehend a bit of God's glory today. Now these three disciples who go with Jesus have been with him for a while now. And they've heard Jesus talk about what awaits him in Jerusalem. And we know that is a cross. And we enter into the season of Lent too. We know that there is a cross on Good Friday and Jesus has shared with them this hard truth and that he will die on that cross and he will be raised three days later. He's been teaching them as well what kind of Savior he is. He's made it clear that if you're going to follow me, you too are going to have to bear your own cross. You're going to have to set aside ease and comfort, the easy way to the kingdom, 
And you're being called to a life of servanthood towards one another, towards others. And so Jesus, as he does, pulls away. And he pulls these disciples away to be alone on the mountain with God. And then suddenly, no forewarning, no announcements, no expectations, he changes. He goes radiantly from his being, it seems. Now, I appreciate the many, many depictions and paintings over the years, but what a mysterious thing this is. Other than some CGI or Hollywood magic, we've not seen anything like this, not in real life. And Peter, for good reason, must have thought, well, this is it. This is the moment. This is the culmination of all things, ignoring the whole message of the cross. And this is where the kingdom is going to be built. And as Peter does, he immediately starts talking about how good this is and He's making plans for three dwelling places for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Yet, Mark lets us know that all is not well with Peter. Peter's motivations are based on confusion and fear. Understandably, this must have been a terrifying moment, but that's what's motivating here. He's afraid. He's confused. He doesn't understand. But he has this deep sense that he needs to do something. He needs to say something that makes sense in this moment, that measures up to what is going on. And I guess for him, a, a new building project was the, was the thing. And if you were with us last week, you would, have, you would remember the story of Jesus there being chased down by Simon, who had become Peter. Because again, he was anxious and confused and wondering, where did you go, Jesus? So many people needed you. Why did you leave? And again, in his not knowing and in his confusion and his concerns, they're motivating him again. Maybe we can relate, though. Peter gets a bad rap. But we're all Peter at some time or another, I believe. In those moments where something wonderful something terrible happens. And we feel the need to respond by doing or saying something that might measure, that might measure up to what has just happened, knowing deep down that no words, no actions can, can really measure to that thing. But what I love about this story is before Peter can actually do much of anything, God steps in. And I love what God does for Peter. I do think this is an act of grace on God's part. Because before Peter can gather supplies to build tents, before he can say anything else, God pours in on the mountain as a cloud. Blinds them to seeing anything around them and simply speaks and says, Shh, this isn't the time to speak. This is not a time to do. Just be. Just be and, and listen right now. I find that grace. I can remember many moments in my life I wish, I wish God had come rolling in on some clouds to quieten the moment, to quieten me, to quieten the world and say, no, don't do. Just be. 
Just listen right now. Listen to my son. Listen what he has to say. In the Bible, it's full of stories just like this. And one story in particular is about Mary and Martha. Maybe you recall that story. If not, Jesus has shown up for a meal at Martha's house and Mary's there with her. Well, that warrants a good meal being cooked, right? That warrants getting, getting ready for such a visit. But while Mar- Martha is in the kitchen preparing and, and getting the meal together, she's beside herself. She's preoccupied because Mary is not helping. Mary's in the other room sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him. And Jesus tells us she's doing the thing that she needs to be doing. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we do confuse busyness with holiness. And when we do, God has a habit of showing up, reminding us that Mary did the right thing. Elijah Elijah lived in the chaos of a moment. He was running for his life and he could not find God. And finally, only in the silence did he hear God speak. Moses. Moses stood before a burning bush and God said, Take your shoes off, let your feet touch the sand for which you stand, and just feel this holy ground that you're on. Paul was blinded on his way, on, his ro- on the road to Damascus, so that he could stop long enough to understand who Christ is. Busyness is not holiness. Now, Peter was not off base. Peter got it. He was right. He was spot on. This meant something. This was amazing. But the power and the glory and the grace of this story is that the presence of God's glory is meant to get our attention, not our busyness. That's what God desires. During these last three weeks in our studies, we have discussed Henry Nouwen's sermons about being the beloved. And we talked about our identity, our identity as children of God, and how often what we do, what we have, or what others think or say about us, or what we perceive there, can define us. And the result is we often live in a way seeking success, seeking value in others and what they think of us, even with God. And we busy ourselves, trying our best to to stay valuable, to stay in the good graces of people, but at the same time it creates a problem because we can't sustain that. We can't do enough, right? We can never do enough to satisfy that longing, and it robs us of joy. So we crash, we feel down, we get depressed when we don't feel productive, when we don't think the world is speaking well of us. But the cure, says Nowen, is that we stop and we make room in our lives for God to enter in to us and with us. And hear that regardless of what we do, regardless of what we have, regardless of what others may or may not think about us, we are beloved children of God. 
And the way we begin to do this is intentionally reading our scriptures, praying together, meditating, but not filling our lives with so much that there's no longer room for God to speak. And the truth is that we cannot love God. We cannot love one another. We cannot do enough to please one another. We must remember that we are beloved children of God. And today we read a story that says exactly that. And when God sent the clouds to hush Peter's busyness, his invitation was to listen. This is my beloved. But what happens after that is just as important. Suddenly, suddenly, when they look around, they saw no one there anymore, but only Jesus. Did you hear that? Only Jesus. No worries, no work, no shelters, no striving, no achievements. Just the one who loves us so much that he's about to endure a cross on our behalf. And the only thing God desires is we listen. Maybe you and I come to worship today thinking about the work that's behind us, the successes or the failures of the last week, the work that lay ahead of us, the weariness of efforts to please God and to please others. And if that's true for you, you are in good company. So today, remember that you are indeed the beloved of God. The worries, the work, the words others say about you, good or bad, they have no bearing on that truth. None. So let that cloud that surrounded Peter surround you and others on today. And let that cloud pause us in our day. May it bring us peace and teach us to listen to every holy moment God gives us. We can't stay on that mountain forever. Holy moments can be fleeting. But in those moments, in those moments, we can be reminded to listen and to find our identity in the one who is holy. So how might you in these days ahead, how might you benefit from spending time to make room for God in your life for the sole purpose of this reminder? But maybe a better point today, our question today is this. What moments, what moments will God choose to provide to you to break into your life, to break into your busyness and invite you to stop and to see the glory that we have seen in Christ today. Frederick Beekner once wrote, and I paraphrase, that the transfiguration was the holiness of Jesus shining through his humanness, his face afire with it, that they were almost blinded by it. But even with us, something like that happens for you and me every once in a while. We see this glory in the face of a man walking with this child in the park. We see it in the face of the one who is happy picking peas in the garden. We see it in the ones we least expected to see it. We hear it in the music we listen to. 
We see it standing barefoot on the shores as the waves roll in. We see it in the face of a child as they are baptized. The glory of God is always shining, but we must stop, gaze upon it, and just let it live. Let it speak. The works, the concerns, the worries, they're going to be there. They're always going to be with us. But so are those holy moments if we will stop and pay attention. Now I began this morning by saying that my words will fall short of expressing the word of God, the, the glory of God, and that has borne true. My words have fallen short to express the glory of God in the transfiguration. But you see, this story is about holy moments. This story is about those moments that God breaks into our life. So when that moment breaks in this week, when it disrupts your busyness, when it disrupts your worries, if you must speak, if you must do anything, let it be this one word only. Glory. Thanks be to God. Amen.